Vandeham Shri Guru Shri Tapadakamalam Shri Guru Vaishnavam Shashi Rupam Sagrajatam Sahagana Raghunatam Bitam Stam Sajivam Sadvoitam Sadvadutam Parijana Sahita Krishna Chaitanya Deva Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lalita Shri Vishakam Bitam Shacha Vanchakalpa Tribhishakipasindavyevatapatitanam Pavanavya Vaishnavya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya January 4th, 2016, Skype class, Hilo, Hawaii. And we're reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 3, Chapter 9, Brahma's Prayers for the Creative Energy, Text 3. Nata param paramayat bhavata swarupam. Ananda matram avikalpam avidavarcha. Pasyami Vishwasu Jamaica Mavishwamatman Pasyami Vishwasu Translation in purport by Srila Prabhupada. Oh my Lord. I do not see a form superior to your present form of eternal bliss and knowledge. In your impersonal Brahman effulgence in the spiritual sky, there is no occasional change and no deterioration of internal potency. I surrender unto you because whereas I am proud of my material body and senses, your lordship is the cause of the cosmic manifestation, and yet you are untouched by matter. PURPORT as stated in the Bhagavad Gita, 1855, The Supreme Personality of Godhead can only be partially known and only by the process of devotional service to the Lord. Lord Brahma became aware that the Supreme Lord Krishna has many, many eternal blissful forms of knowledge. He has described such expansions of the Supreme Lord Govinda in his Brahma Samhita 533 as follows. Advaita Machuta Maladi Mananta Rupam Majam Purana Purusham Navayovanam Chave Deshudurla Bamadurla Bamatma Bhakto Govinda Mani Purusham Tam Maham Bajami. I worship Govinda, the primeval Lord, who is non dual and infallible. He is the original cause of all causes, even though he expands in many, many forms. Although he is the oldest personality, he is ever youthful, unaffected by old age. The Supreme Personality of Godhead cannot be known by the academic wisdom of the Vedas. One has to approach the devotee of the Lord to understand him. The only way to understand the Lord as he is, is by devotional service to the Lord, or by approaching the devotee of the Lord who always has the Lord in his heart. By devotional perfection, one can understand that the impersonal Brahma Jyoti is only a partial representation of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Lord Krishna, and that the three Purusha expansions in the material creation are his plenary portions. In the spiritual sky of the Brahma Jyoti, there is no change of various kalpas or millenniums, and there are no creative activities in the Vaikuntha worlds. 
The influence of time is conspicuous by its absence. The rays of the transcendental body of the Lord, the unlimited Brahma Jyoti, are undeterred by the influence of material energy. In the material world also, the initial creator is the Lord himself. He brings about the creation of Brahma, who becomes the subsequent creator empowered by the Lord. Nata param paramayat bhavata swarupam ananda matram avikalpam avidavarcha pasyami vishvasrajame kamavishvamatmam O my Lord, I do not see a form superior to your present form of eternal bliss and knowledge. In your impersonal Brahman effulgence in the spiritual sky, there is no occasional change and no deterioration of internal potency. I surrender unto you because whereas I am proud of my material body and senses, your Lordship is the cause of the cosmic manifestation and yet you are untouched by matter. So Brahma is saying, you are the supreme, not me. (laughs) And I appear to be the creator, but I'm proud. You are the real creator, and you have no pride. Hmm. So we have here this humility, freedom from mada, which can also mean madness. It's not always translated as pride. It's freedom from pride or madness. And then being able to see, pashyami, to see the truth. Hmm. So, Krishna talks a lot about seeing the truth, right? Isn't that what we want? Isn't that why we're reading the Bhagavatam? Because we want to see the truth, not just uh, theoretical, not just a dogma. You know, in many religions, there's a dogma. This is what I believe, and people fight about the wording of what they believe in. Now, we do this in, in the Gaudiya tradition also. How would people have big fights and write papers and have conferences about the wording of their beliefs? Ah, it's okay. It has its place, I suppose. But the real thing is that we want to experience the truth. We don't just want a catechism. We don't just want a statement of beliefs. So I, I, there was an educational conference I used to attend yearly, a long time ago, put on by a Christian organization and I like to go to those rather than the government's atheistic conventions. And they had a a big sign uh, repeated in several places of their statements of belief. You know, if you believe these things, you're one of us. You don't believe these things, you're not one of us. But whatever one believes, (laughs) as expressed in words conceived through the mind, Vedeshu Drulabam, even if it's coming from the scriptures, Vedeshu Drulabam, Adulabam atma bhakta. One has to be the bhakta to see. So this seeing the truth, actually realizing the truth, Krishna talks about in the Bhagavad Gita quite a bit. Uh, Rudrananda Maharaj has analyzed in his uh, book of the Bhagavad Gita. He has uh, three and a half pages of a summary of all the places that Krishna talks about to see. Right? He says, uh, right in 2.59, we only give up mundane sense objects, param drisva nivartite, when we see something higher. Right? The tattva darshis, like in text 34 of, of chapter 4, the guru is one who sees the truth, and in 35, when you see the truth, when you see the tattva, some people see the soul, 
in 2.29 and in 6.20, one of my favorite verses, how one sees the self and relishes and rejoices in the self. Pandita Samadarshina, again Darshina, to see that a real Pandi doesn't see the distinctions of man, woman, old, young, Indian, Frenchman, Muslim, Christian, even cow and dog, right? So to see, and the lack of seeing, also, of course, realization is associated with light. To see, to have light. So Rama is seeing, and as he's seeing, he's aware of his pride. Hmm. We're going to look at the relationship here between this madness of pride, Mada, and Pasyami, the ability to see the truth. So to see the truth in the first place, to even know what it is, then to accept it. To say, yes, I believe in it. It's quite different from some intellectual statements that one says, These are my, this is my creed. And then, of course, to act on the truth. And how does pride relate to all of these? So, as far as just being able to see the truth. So the value of seeing is that it's real. It's the final evidence Prachaksha Bhagavam Dharmam Prachaksha means that which is perceived. You know, if someone tells me something and I don't experience it myself, my conviction is less. It's not, it's not really proof for me. People talk a lot about how can you prove that there's a God. Well, you can't prove that there's a God. Because even if God appears in front of you and shows you the universal form like he did to Duryodhana, Duryodhana may not accept that it's God. He may say, this is just some mystic show, some magic. You know, I mean, magicians can do some pretty amazing things, right? You've seen magicians do some pretty amazing things. They appear to cut a body in half. And you see the top half of the body. And... It appears to be suspended in space and there's nothing under it or behind it and it's moving and the bottom half is moving and they're separated from each other by a few yards or meters and you know, and then the magician joins them together. And how do they do that? Right? And they have some cage in the air with a tiger and they cover it with a cloth and they pull off the cloth and then there's a woman in there instead of a tiger. How do they do that? So Duryodhana thought that Krishna showing the universal form was like that. It was some kind of trick of illusion. So therefore there's no proof. There's no proof. You take someone in the spiritual world, they still won't believe it. I know some people who have these near-death experiences and go to higher realms, come back into their body, and they don't believe it. They don't believe what they themselves experience. Hmm. However, it's only through direct personal experience that one gets any kind of at least proof for oneself. It's, it's the only way. I mean, if I just tell you what I've seen, if I said, oh yeah, I, I went to the spiritual world and I saw Krishna, well, that's not a proof for you. I might be lying, I might be delusional, mentally ill, right? So my only hope for proof 
is my own direct perception, my own direct experience. That's the only hope. So that's the value of seeing. Otherwise, it remains theoretical. I won't even be able to give up my sense gratification. We said, Parmjus Vadivartite. I won't even be able to give up trying to satisfy my senses in this world if I don't have some experience of something higher. You know, if, if somebody just has junk food to eat and that's all that they experience, they won't be able to give it up. You have to give them a different experience. They have to have something else available to them. If it's not available, you could say, in theory, healthier food exists somewhere. You know, but that's not very helpful. I believe that healthier food exists somewhere. Oh, okay. As a start, you'll go looking for it, I suppose. At least that's adushradha, that's something. At least you'll go on the search. But until you find it, until you're holding the fresh fruit in your hand, you're not going to give up the chemically flavored, you know, soda. So one has to see. Which eyes does one see with? Does one see with the mundane eyes? Well, even materially, we don't really see with the mundane eyes. The, the seeing is, is happening in the brain and really done by the mind. And the evidence of that is that we see things in dreams when our gross eyes are closed. So in one sense, the gross eyes really don't see anything. This was the argument of Pipalaya Muni to Gopal Kumar. But in any case, one doesn't see God with uh, just some me- mechanical machine. One can't see God with the, with the machine. One has to see God with, with love. Even, you know, there's, even if you see him with the mechanical eyes, you're not really seeing him. I mean, such is even true on the material level. You know, I can't really understand another person unless I have some relationship with them. And unless that relationship has some affection, my seeing them is very distorted. And until we have some empathy, some connection with another person, we don't really understand who they are or what makes them tick. This seeing means what we call, among the Hare Krishna devotees, realization, what the Christians call an epiphany. It's that aha, the eureka, where things become clear. You know, just uh, yesterday, so I was working on Raghunath Das Goswami's Manashiksha, I was writing a section on Bhakti Siddhanta in relationship to Manashiksha and the inner path of Raghunath Sadhana. And one of my biggest pieces of evidence that Bhakti Siddhanta was indeed teaching a bona fide path of Raghunath Sadhana is the Gaudiya Logo which has on the counterclockwise left portion Vaidhi Bhakti and on the clockwise right portion Raga Bhakti. Then there's an internal star that has six points and there's words there written in Bengali. So I had interviewed an expert in Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasvati who had told me what was written on the points of the star but I was interviewing him uh, through an internet phone and I obviously did not hear clearly what he said for one of the points of the star. So I was writing it down in, in my essay and I was looking up what the diacritics were and the word I had written down just simply didn't exist as a Bengali word. I had written down something wrong and I was trying to guess what could it be, what could it be, what could it be. 
and I was guessing in this way and that way. And, guess, and finally, I thought, okay, let me take... I, I even tried to find a Hindi version of the logo because I could read the Devanagari letters, which I couldn't read the Bengali letters. And They were all old and, and low resolution and fuzzy, and I, I just couldn't see them properly. Finally, I thought, all right, let me just try to decipher the Bengali. So I took the clearest Bengali one that I had, blew it up as big as I could, found a Bengali alphabet, and went, oh, that's what it is. Then I could see it, and everything clicked. I thought, oh, it's Yasha. Okay, it's fame. And then I thought, what's fame doing in the in the Godiamat logo? Why is he putting fame there? And then I realized that on the six points of the star were Krishna's six opulences and the whole curtain opened and I went, aha, that's what we mean by to see. When something clicks, it makes sense and it fits together and it's something you've been struggling with and trying to understand just all of a sudden makes sense. So that's what we mean by seeing. So why does one need a lack of pride to see? We talked about how Duryodhana saw the universal form, but didn't see it. He thought it was a magician's trick. So even to see the truth, which is really right there all the time, very far away but very near as well, right in our heart, even to see the truth requires some humility, some lack of pride, that I don't already see it. When I was working on that logo, as long as I was attached to thinking that I already understood the word. I thought the word was Josh, and I was relating it to Jyoti, as light. And as long as I was had this conception that the word had something to do with light or enlightenment, I couldn't find out what the real world was. I kept searching and searching. I spent about a half an hour trying in so many ways, on the database, on the internet, with all the different sources that I had, looking and looking and looking, but as long as I had in my mind that what I was looking for had something to do with light, I couldn't find it. And when I put aside my pride and said, I have no idea what this word is, let me start from nothing. Let me assume I know nothing and really look at these really fuzzy letters. Then I was able to see it. I mean, first the letters I looked at were conjuncts because I thought I was looking for a a, a J-Y. So I didn't even look at the main letter list. I was looking at the conjunct list. I was looking in the wrong place because I already had a preconceived notion of what I was looking for. And it wasn't until I gave up my preconceived notions of what I was looking for and I said, let me just look at the alphabet from a blank slate. And then I saw it. And what I saw bewildered me. How does that make sense? It's definitely what it was. And then I checked the Hindi version and no doubt about it. It was fame. What's the word fame doing there? It challenged my assumptions and my beliefs about what I was looking at. But only when I was willing to question those assumptions and beliefs did the whole, all the pieces of the puzzle fit together. And, oh, it's Krishna's six opulences. I, I was translating all the words wrong practically. So, without humility, without a lack of pride, we can't understand even ordinary things. 
we're so convinced that we're right and we're so convinced in how we see things as the way that they are that no matter what evidence is put in front of us, we don't see it. We misinterpret it. We look in the wrong place. So what is humility? Humility is I don't know anything. We may be scared of that. If I say I don't know anything, aren't I going to have low self-esteem and so forth? No, you're going to be open to the truth. Right? You ever had somebody ask you a question and when you didn't give them the answer they wanted, all they did was argue with you? I had someone do that to me yesterday. Asked me a question. I gave an answer. And then all they did was argue with me and got angry. Why are you asking me a question? You just want somebody to verify your preconceived notions. You just want somebody to stamp what you want to be the truth. That's pride. And it's mudda, it's madness. So what does Brahma see? He sees that he's not the creator. Vishnu is the creator. Krishna, as we said in previous verses, the Acharyas have concluded that he saw Krishna because of the way uh, Krishna's the Lord's foot is described, even though he's seeing ostensibly Garbhadakshai Vishnu. So he's saying, you're the one. You're the, you're the one above everything. There's no truth superior to you. Oh my Lord, I do not see a form superior to your present form. And what else does he see? He sees the relationship between Vishnu and Brahman. Right? This is a very controversial thing. What is the relationship? Hmm? Did this Krishna come from the Brahman? Does the Brahman come from Krishna? I mean, I remember when I was growing up, I, I thought, you know, when I was first exposed to Krishna consciousness, my assumption was that Krishna was a manifestation of the Brahman, that the Brahman was supreme. I was brought up in a very impersonal culture where if you thought of a form of God, it was an offense and that God had no form. He was formless energy, light. So naturally, when I first read Krishna book, first read Bhagavad Gita, even though Srila Prabhupada was very clear in his purports, in his book, Again, because of this pride of thinking one already knows. I, I didn't perceive it. And uh, I, I remember reading Ravindasri Prabhu's article that he wrote in Back to Godhead about how he came to Krishna consciousness. And he had a similar situation where he was thinking for a long time after meeting the devotees that Krishna is a manifestation of the Brahman. This, of course, is Sankaracharya's philosophy. Sankaracharya teaches that all of the incarnations of the Lord are simply an illusion. They're, they're, they're ignorance. And it wasn't until two weeks after living in the ashram of the temple that all of a sudden I understood, wow, the devotees are saying the Brahman comes from Krishna. Brahman, oh, he said he had the same epiphany. Oh, they're saying that the Brahman comes from Krishna. I remember one of my Gurukul students who became a devotee as a teenager. He was sitting in one of my Bhakti Shastri classes after a couple months. 
of being, you know, associated with the movement and going to Gurukula. And, and he said, are, are you saying that the Brahmin comes from Krishna? <laughs> you know, so it may be obvious to us after some time that yeah, the Brahmin is Krishna's effulgence like the sunshine is to the sun. But this is something that, that Brahma saw. You and Brahman are not different. Brahmiti, Paramatmiti, Bhagavaniti, Subjite. Three forms of the absolute truth. And you are the superior form. You and the Brahman are the same, and you are superior. Your form of Bhagavan is superior. So this is what he saw. You are the creator. I am not the creator. Then the next step in humility is to accept what we see. So one needs humility just to see it at all. And then to accept it, to internalize it. And while even seeing it all seems to be very difficult for most conditioned souls, we can hazard a a guess that the majority of conditioned souls go through a few billion lifetimes without ever seeing much of anything. Brahmanya Bhagavanji, only a, a fortunate soul after going through all the Brahmandas, all the universes, Bahunam Janmanamante, many, many, many births and deaths. And most conditioned souls really don't see much of anything. I mean, try talking to somebody who's just materialistic. What do they see? What do they understand? Really understand, even if they're parroting some religion. And then to accept, oh, it's real. And this requires humility. It's a very deep step. What is he having to accept? I'm not the creator. You are. Wow, to really accept that. I'm not the doer. I'm I'm not the doer. You're the doer. I'm your instrument. This gives us peace to accept. Bhoktiram Yagatepasam Sarvalok Maheshram Suridam Sarvabhutanam Gyadvamam Shanti Machiti. Accepting. As soon as we accept, then we gain relief from our inartas. And please don't think that seeing is equivalent with accepting. Seeing is understanding. In, in education, we talk about uh, something called Bloom's taxonomy, levels of learning. And the first is just rote knowledge. When I was talking about the dogma, where you just write down something, you can repeat it. Krishna is the basis of the Brahman. Krishna is the creator, not me. I am Krishna's servant. God is the person. And you, you can memorize these things. And if someone says, what's your philosophy? You can repeat it back to them. You can fill out an exam on it. And then Bloom says, the next level is understanding. So that's what we're talking about, this scene. Will you say, oh. <laughs> right? But this goes a little deeper, accepting, really accepting it. A 
again, I think we've all had the experience. We may see something for a moment, and then we push it away. I don't want to deal with that now. I think of it like you're in a dark room and you open the curtains a little bit and a ray of light comes in and then you... I I didn't close the curtains again. And one person that I've been counseling for a while, he'll do that. You know. He'll see something and he'll say, okay, no, I don't want to talk about this anymore. I'm done. (laughs) I don't want to have to accept it right now. Why? Because if we accept what we see, if we internalize it, if we take it from the epiphany stage to the internalization stage, then we have to change. We have to become sane, not mudda. So again, this requires some lack of pride. Wow, I've been wrong all along. I made a mistake. I have ill motives. Something's wrong. I've I've been hurting myself. I've been hurting others. This is really damaging. As Prabhupada says, those on the stage of bhava never fall into maya because they understand the real nature of maya. It's like people who have some medical condition where they can't eat certain kinds of foods and no matter how good the foods look they know if I eat this food I'll, I'll vomit I eat this food I'll break out in a rash I eat this food I won't be able to breathe and they, they accept it you really have that acceptance you are the supreme not me you are the doer not me you are the creator not me why does that bring peace? Because the burden's off of me. Oh, my anxiety is, is that I have to do this and I have to do that and things are depending on me. And, and I know that I'm not in control. I feel so much anxiety. It's up to me to do this and up to me to do that. And to, but I, I can't control whether or not I do it. I can get sick, I can get injured. Other people will not cooperate so many ways and then I'm full of anxiety. So when I see Krishna's the doer, even I was telling my eight-year-old grandson yesterday, he got really, really upset because his older brother wouldn't let him play something, play with something. And I said, you know, if Krishna wants you to play with that, can anybody stop you? He said, no. I said, if Krishna doesn't want you to play with it, can anybody give it to you? He says, no. Oh, Krishna's the doer. He's behind. Then I have peace. If I think I'm the doer, then I get in so much anxiety. But that's hard to accept. It's hard to accept. It's very hard to see and even harder to accept. However, the main thing is to act on it. That's what we all want to do. We all want to come to the point where we, where we go through a change. We go through some transformation where we go through the world absorbed in love and in proper vision, unaffected by the material dualities, absorbed in the service of the Lord. We want that change to happen. So we not only want to see the truth and believe the truth, but we want to act on that truth. 
That's the benediction that Lord Brahma asked for later in this chapter. Or perhaps he asked for it in the second canto, can't remember. Anyway, that's the benediction he asked for. He says, I want to be able to act without pride. I want to be able to create without pride as your instrument. I want to be able to act as a devotee. That's what we all want. We all want to take the philosophy we know and have realized to whatever extent and we want to make it real for us. We don't want to keep acting like a materialist. Of course, in the beginning, we don't think we're doing that. But anyway, once we realize we're doing that, we don't want to keep behaving as if we didn't see the truth. We want there to be integration between what we know, what we see, what we believe, and who we are, how we behave. One of the most humiliating and frustrating things about being a conditioned soul is this disconnect between what we know is right on one level or another, and how we actually behave. The the mother who knows that she doesn't want to yell at her kids and then she yells at them anyway. The person who knows that they shouldn't eat that other piece of chocolate cake and they eat it anyway. So this disconnect. They know they should be honest and they cheat anyway. So how does it go to a deep change? Again, it has to be this freedom from pride. Because once we accept this is the truth, then we have to be willing to let Krishna change us. Krishna says, I deliver. In other paths, karma yoga, gyan yoga, dhyan yoga, the person feels to some extent that they're delivering themselves. I'm delivering myself because I'm a very pious person. I'm delivering myself because I've understood the knowledge of the Vedas. I'm delivering myself because I know the breathing and the postures. But in Bhakti, Krishna, you save me to cry out to Krishna. Just reading how Bhakti Sanatya said, it's not possible to be delivered without crying out for mercy. Prabhupada said this crying, this is the, the summit of Krishna consciousness. Throughout Raghunath Goswami's Manashiksha, his remedy for our material entanglement is to cry out for mercy. Oh, that can be faked. Thousands of actors in the world who can convincingly fake almost any emotion with a close-up camera. And one can fool oneself, too. You know, sometimes these actors, they're playing a role where they're, you know, in love with somebody in the movie or the drama, and they believe that they're in love with them, and they end up, you know, leaving their spouse and running off with this person with whom they had a relationship in the drama. You know, the man was pretending to be an international spy and the woman's pretending to be a president of a country. And in, in those roles with those personas, they have a pretend love affair in the, in the, on the stage. And they end up believing that the feelings that they're exhibiting falsely for the audience are their real feelings. And so they end up offstage having an affair which usually doesn't end very well 
So we can pretend that we're crying to the Lord and we might fool the public and we might fool ourselves. We might think, wow, I, I have genuine feeling. But Quinty says, you know, you can't cry to the Lord as long as we're attached. Jen Maishwaya Sutir, as long as we're attached that I have I have good birth, I have, you know, I am a Paka Indian from a South Indian Brahmana family. Whatever it is. My parents were scientists in Oxford, oh, whatever our pride is. Then we can't cry to the Lord with sincere feeling. And without crying to the Lord with sincere feeling, we never really act on the truth. Because although we may, by the grace of the Lord, have seen the truth, and even if we may come to the point of accepting the truth, we can only act on it. Also, each of these stages is by mercy and by humility. And the deeper our humility, the deeper the change. And humility doesn't mean walking around with self-abnegating language and shoulders hunched and looking at the ground. We don't see Srila Prabhupada behaving like this or any of our acharyas. It's simply an admission I don't know anything. I'm, I'm an open, empty vessel. I throw away my preconceptions. I throw away my sarvupadi vinir muktam tatpartena nirmala rishikesha rishikena sevana bhakti uchita. I throw away my upadis. I am this, I am that. I am so good at this, I am so good at that. And, and then we become such a wonderful servant of the Lord, the like Krishna shook hands with Brahma, assured him of perfection. So that's what we achieve. Then we live in the truth. Undoubtedly, it's difficult to give up pride. We're very attached to it. Mada, it makes us crazy. We speak and act like a crazy person. I don't know if crazy is a politically correct word anymore. Robert had that pamphlet, Who is Crazy? We're all crazy. The more you chant Hare Krishna, the more you see. Everyone in this world's nuts. They're going around thinking they know things and they're so great and they're just fools. And wow, so am I. I mean, I, did, I remember when I was first taking out Krishna consciousness, seeing that over and over again. First you see it in others. Oh, these people are just fools. <laughs> they're just proud fools. And then you see it in yourself and go, whoops, <laughs> so am I. <laughs> Yeah, so it's hard. We've been attached to this pride for a very, 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 very long time. But at least to genuinely admit, I don't know. Lord, you tell me. Lord, you show me. And whatever you show me, I will accept. Whatever path you tell me to take, I will do. I, I am your servant. I am available to you. And I just say that with some sincerity. So questions, comments, additions, subtractions? That you're not the doer. You really, you really aren't doing anything. Krishna's doing it all. I had the experience the other day. Just last week, I was on a doing a sailing charter wedding, and I was sailing the boat back under very fluky wind conditions, using every bit of skill I had to 
get the boat back to harbor before it got dark. And I was um, I was trying to meditate how I'm not doing that I'm not doing anything. I, it, it just didn't seem I could get there. I mean, I'm sitting there and sailing the boat with. It was kind of a wonderful experience. You know, the wind would come and then turn up high into the wind and go real fast and then fall off and change positions and doing so much. I was trying to think, how, how am I not doing anything? And if and if I could realize that, what would that feel like to sail a boat truly realizing I'm doing anything? Christian's doing everything. Well, just so you ask for it, he'll show you. Don't worry about it. But what does it feel like? Is, is such incredible happiness. I mean, I think one of my most dramatic experiences with this, I was in Vrindavan teaching at the VIHE. And it was hours of teaching, very intense. We were studying the second canto, very philosophical sections. So after teaching that kind of material for so many hours, my my brain was tired. I really didn't have much thinking capacity left. So I was invited to the disappearance anniversary celebration of Bhakti Swarup Damodar Maharaj. I was right after my teaching schedule, so I, I went. And I think I was so kind of tired that I didn't really think about that the fact they might ask me to say something. <laughs> it just hadn't even crossed my mind. So, you know, I'm in the, the Balaram Hall, Krishna Balaram Hall, and, and sitting there with everybody else, all the hundreds of people, and someone comes up to me and says, you know, would you say something about Bhakti Swabdhamanamara? So I said, sure, and I thought, what am I going to say? <laughs> and I was, I was just so tired, mentally tired, that I wasn't able to compose anything. Generally, if, if I'm asked to speak at the last minute, I have a, a little template that I can use, and I can quickly plug in something to my template. It was how I was trained when I was young. But I was too tired to even do that. And I just said mentally, just, you know, thought, Krishna, I, I don't know. <laughs> You're going to have to do this because I can't do it. I had done that many, many, many times before, but this, I think, was the most dramatic. And I got up in front of the room, and I had a, a very real experience that while I was speaking, I was observing myself speak. That, that really it was Krishna speaking for me. It wasn't me speaking at all. I was, I was, what I was doing was making myself available and cooperating, and I kept marveling. At what a good speech it was. I said, wow, this is the best lecture I've ever given. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing everything right that I've ever taught anybody to do, giving a speech. I'm checking off all the boxes, and it's just... I was in awe of what, what was happening. As C.S. Lewis puts it, that you appreciate what you've done as much as you can appreciate what anybody else has done. You know, there, there wasn't a sense of this is wonderful because I'm doing it as different from if you were giving that speech that I would feel differently about it it was just an appreciation of wow this this is really amazing this is really you know this is expertise that it wasn't mine and I was just kind of floating in this not only happiness but also wonder there was a lot of adbuta there 
because it kept surprising me. The things that came out of my mouth kept surprising me. It's like, wow, that was the perfect thing to say. <laughs> and that fit with that. And look at that. You brought the ending back to the beginning and you put everything together. And it was just, wow, look at that. And look at, whoa, where's that coming from? It was, it was, it was just so amazing. And I sat down and thought, whoa. And then a- afterwards, right afterwards, the leaders pulled me out of the room and said, can, can you come to Bali? <laughs> can you come to Manipur? <laughs> and I remember thinking, I ain't going to be able to do that again. If you bring me someplace else thinking I can do that one again, you're going to be disappointed because it wasn't me doing it. And, and, and this is exactly what happened, you know. I went. To, I was so happy to go to Manipur because I always wanted to go there. And uh, I went there for Bhakti Swarup Dhammanamarsh's appearance day, his Vyasa day. So I spoke then, and I could tell that the leaders, you know, they appreciated what I said, but they were a little disappointed because the bar had been set so high, you know. It was more like I could, I could reach it again. It sounds like Arjuna when he said, I'm the same Arjuna. Same bow. Yeah. Yet he could he couldn't defeat the That's right. Infidels. That's right. So I, I forget who told me. I forget who told me the story. One one of my god brothers told me they were at a program with Radhana Swami, and he uh, he gave a speech. And afterwards, he, he looked at his god brother and said, "Well, we really hit that one out of the ballpark, didn't we?" He said, "But that was all Krishna." So it, just ask. You know, what I find is I, the, those things tend to happen more frequently when I'm broken in some way. When I'm, I'm really tired or really sick or, you know. I mean, you can't do those things purposely. That doesn't work. You, you can't say, okay, Krishna, I'm not going to prepare for this. I'm not going to study. I'm, I'm not going to learn anything and you just do it. He'll say, forget it. And he'll let you fall on your face. You know, we have to we have to do our part. But if somehow we can't, you know, if somehow we can't do it, you know, then then you see it quite clearly. It, it just Krishna takes over. I mean, I had another, uh, not as dramatic as that time in Vrindavan, which was I think the most dramatic. But I, a similar instance in uh, China, I got really sick from the polluted air in Shanghai. And ended up having to go to the hospital, and they said, "Oh yeah, this is really common from the air pollution." Anyway, I got so sick one day that I, I just collapsed. I wasn't able to stand up, and I, I wasn't—I wasn't able to sit up, and I wasn't able to think at all. I couldn't compose my thoughts at all. I couldn't speak. And uh, meanwhile, people were coming for a program, and there was no way to contact them. No way to turn it back. They were they were coming to where I was for a program, and I wasn't able to do anything at all, nothing. You know, and, and somehow when they came, I gave a class lying down on the floor. I mean, I don't know how I did it. And as soon as they left, I couldn't speak again. So it's it's you know these, these things. That's what I see. They tend to happen when we're when we have when we're broken in some way, or. You know, the, the time working on the Learn to Read books where my layout person got sick and he got so sick he couldn't even take a phone call. And I, I had a deadline for the artists in China of three days. And the only person to do the initial layout was me. I didn't even know how to use the program. I didn't even know how to use the program. I never used it before. 
and I had to do layout of, of 42 books. Well, not, I guess he'd done the first two. So I had to do layout of 40 books in three days without knowing how to use the program. You know, and it happened, but the whole time it was just like, it was Krishna doing it. So, to some extent, we can we can put ourselves into some, into that place. And to some extent, it's it's Krishna working with us and and showing us. But it's it's very exciting. You know, we we may think, well, gosh, if I there, there's if I if I didn't think I'm a doer, I would lose that high of being the doer. There's a certain exaltation we get in Rajagun. Because Rajagun is the mode of being the doer. There's a certain exaltation in that. I've done this. See my accomplishment. Feel my expertise. I am great. I am perfect, powerful, and happy. Look what I have accomplished. Of course, if nobody looks, it's very disappointing. <laughs> you know? <laughs> come mommy, mommy, see me on the top of the of the jungle gym. And if mommy doesn't come, then there's no use to being on the top of the jungle gym, you know? <laughs> if, if we don't get the accolades, because <laughs> that's very much Rajagun. But there's a certain high to that. There's a certain exultation in that by my cleverness, by my years of study. You know, just see how I drive the car and move the sail and ride the horse and write the essay and cook the japatis. You know, as a cook at Gita Nagri, I was cooking 10 japatis at once. Just see how expert I am. Yeah. I've seen some videos of these these guys in India that roll japatis and then throw them across the room and someone catches them. Gosh, you know. And you think, you feel, well, I'm really expert. So you have to give that up. And you think, well, I don't want to give that up. Then I'll just feel incompetent. I'll feel like an idiot and incompetent and a fool. And I don't want to feel that way. I want to feel on top of the world. So there's some hesitancy to give that up and say, Krishna, I can't do it. And the, the nicest story, if you really want to want to touch this stuff, the nicest story is that of Bhima. So Bhima, you know, we'll back up a little bit. So Maharaj Yudhisthira wants to do the Rajasuya Yagya, and all the kings of the world have to either agree and send some money for the Yagya, or they have to fight, generally to the death or till their surrender. Because they didn't like to surrender, <laughs> it usually ended up to be the death. So the only one left was Jarasandar. And Jarasandar, of course, had this long history of attacking Krishna so many times, 18 times, being defeated 17 times. And he was really a problem. He was had been Kamsa's father-in-law. So they decided they didn't want an open war with him. Too many casualties. They decided to do a one-on-one -on -one duel. And so Krishna... Bhima and Arjuna would go challenge him in a duel, but they decided not to challenge him uh, directly. They were going to disguise themselves as Brahmanas because a lot of these demons try to be good people in the world in, in one sense. So Jarasandha had this mood of, I'm a good person in the world. 
I will perform sacrifice, I will go some charity, thus I will rejoice. And so he had this mood that I serve the Brahmanas. So they came disguised as Brahmanas at the time of the day when Jarasandar gave in charity to the Brahmanas. And Jarasandar could immediately understand by looking at them, these are kind of odd-looking Brahmanas. You know, they're very muscular, they have marks on their bodies from carrying bows, and they speak in very commanding voices. They're used to being in charge, they have this aura of authority about them. But he thought, oh well, they're disguised as Brahmanas, and all right, he said, what would you like? Of course, Krishna primed him, as he often does, by stoking Jarasandha's pride. Anyway, he said, what would you like? And they said, we'd like to have a duel with you, one-on-one, whoever you choose. And he chose Bhima because he felt Bhima was the only one who was his equal, so the Kshatriyas would not fight with somebody lesser than them. They consider that an unfair fight. You fight with someone equal, and then Dharma decides the winner. So Jarasandha and Bhima were truly equal, and so for one lunar month, 28 days, they're fighting every day, and then they're friends at night. Uh, they're living as friends at night, without fear, in Jarasandra's palace. So if you think about this scene, it, w- it was decided by the Lord himself, by Krishna himself, in consultation with the Pandavas, Uddhava, etc., that this fight was going to go on between Bhima and Jarasandha. So this is a direct decision of the Supreme Lord who's personally there, and then Krishna's right there watching Bhima fight. He's right there. Now, we tend to think that, well, if God gives me an order and he's right there, everything's going to work out. But it didn't. And Bhima was not able to get anywhere. It was a draw, a stalemate, a tie. Neither side was winning. After a month of fighting, that's a long time. And after a month, then Bhima goes to Krishna and says, I don't have the ability to do this, Krishna. So then Krishna takes his own tejas and he infuses Bhima with his own tejas. Not only that, but he gives Bhima a hint, and I, I love it that Krishna doesn't say it directly. Krishna likes speaking through hints and indirectly, and he gives Bhima a hint by taking a blade of grass and splitting it in two. So he, he wanted this, he wanted Bhima to use his intelligence, in other words. He didn't tell Bhima the whole story, which ends up getting revealed in the Bhagavatam, but Krishna doesn't tell Bhima the whole story of how Jarasandha was born in two halves from two different mothers and joined by a witch. And he just splits the blade of grass in two, giving him a hint like that and then gives him the potency. So this story is a very nice step-by-step guide. Okay, number one, make sure that what you're doing is approved by Shastra, Sadhu, and Guru. Don't just make up things. So Bhima's doing something that's approved directly by Krishna and his brothers, by the devotees, etc. Make sure what you're doing is within that circle of Sadhu, Shastra, Guru. Number two, try your best. Do your best with the resources and the ability that you have. If it means, you know, getting training and taking classes, do that. If it means practicing, do that. Put your best effort, your best time into it. Give everything that you can into it. Don't be lazy. Don't sleep on the chariot and say, Krishna, empower me and let me get the, you know, let me get the thrill of being empowered by you. 
I, I'm not the doer, Krishna. Let me sleep and, and, and let me just lie here and be lazy. Right? Krishna says, free from lethargy. Right? Let me just be lethargic and you fill me with your energy so I'll get the, I'll replace my mode of passion high with a spiritual high. No, you have to put out everything. You have to give everything. You have to surrender. Accept what's favorable. Reject what's unfavorable to the task you've been given. And at the same time, say, I don't have the Shakti. I don't. I don't have the Shakti. I don't have the I don't really have the knowledge. However much I study, however much I practice, it's your Shakti. Fill me with your power and your potency. And then he does when he wants. And you leave it to him. And he does it in such a way that you can't deny that it's him, like what happened to me with the Bengali logo yesterday. Well, it, what Sadapita talks about in his article on inspiration. And then when he chooses, because that's what it means to be empowered, it means when he chooses. You know, he's not a machine. And then, then you see it, and you ex- and then you accept it. Wow, this is not me. And then you act on it. You flow with it. You you dance with it. You work with it. You you reciprocate with it. You relish it. Long answer, but hopefully that serves. No, that's great. Thanks. Okay, we have Kandita here, who's written a lot. You said we become free from anxiety, we give up our attachment to the idea we are the doer. Doer. Yes, glimpses. So these glimpses are like seeing, but then you want to go from the from the seeing to accepting and acting on. Then the glimpses last longer and longer until they become the reality. Yes, I also wanted to add one more thing. I have found in my painting mm. that when I start uh, thinking I'm the doer, then things don't work out so well. Right. And then when I let go and I realize that Krishna is the doer, things start working out. Um, the paint seems to flow. Um, and especially when I'm cre- uh, painting Krishna's face. I mean, if he wants to come it's through, it's difficult to hear you. And if he doesn't, forget it. You know. Yeah, it's interesting so, you saying that about painting. We have an artist who's illustrating Manashiksha, and the last painting was for the benediction that if you recite the verses, you know, you attain the service of Radha and Krishna and Vrindavan. So he decided he wanted to have a painting of a leaf book with that verse on it. And in his painting is a lotus flower, a wet lotus flower, and some uh, dolphin earrings. And he told me that when usually with the paintings, he would send me a sketch first. He'd send me a, a charcoal sketch, and we would discuss it, and I would finally, you know, we'd get to a, a version that we both agreed on, and then he would paint it. Well, in this case, he didn't send me a sketch. He just sent me the finished painting. <laughs> 
And I said, you know, you didn't send me a sketch. And he said, well, I just started working on it and Krishna took over. <laughs> I just painted it. So that's, yeah. And if you don't do that, then, you know, even if it's materially expert, it's not, uh, it's not what you want. Like you said, you know, I have to pray to Christopher help when painting his face. Yeah. So let's pay, pray for him for everything. But Doug says, what's my template for speaking on the spot? Um, first you decide what your conclusion is most important thing you decide what is the main point that you want to make it should be a declarative sentence it should be a statement that ends with a period that has a subject and a predicate one sentence that's the most important idea you want to communicate and it should be something that is an eternal principle it should be a tattva it should also be something that is relevant and useful to your audience. And if all you have is that, uh, that can be enough. But you have to have that. If you don't have that, at a minimum, you're all over the place, and it's not going to be very valuable. You've got to decide what is the point, what is the goal. Basically, you're deciding the priorgena. So, you know, what is... You take, what is my point? It should be stated in a sentence. And it should, anybody who hears the class should be able to come away from the class and say, that was the point. You know, if 100 people hear the class, they should all come away with basically this, it was the main point of the class. So that's the first thing. Then for a really quick template, something you can do in 30 seconds, um, it's the most elementary one, but in an emergency it does, it works very well. You take that uh, priority, you take that main point and you divide it up into three areas and the areas can be parallel areas. They can be um, consecutive areas. The areas I had today were consecutive. So they can be in time. They can be in place. They can be cause and effect. They can be uh, cause, effect, problem, problem, cause, effect, effect, cause, problem, problem, cause, effect. Uh, There's a number of different ways you can organize the areas. And at least if you have your titles of your areas. And then finally an introduction because an introduction acts like the cover of a book. Right, I gave a book to somebody the other day. I said, I think you would enjoy this. And then I asked them, did you look at it? And they said, well, I read the back cover. So you're, the way you start your, your presentation is like the, the cover design and the cover blurb. And if people aren't interested in the first two, three minutes, they probably aren't going to be interested. So the, the last thing that you work out if you're, if you're, is, is that. And there's uh, some other uh, templates that are really useful. The Christian preacher, Andy Stanley, who has a, a wonderful book, Communication for a Change. He has an, another interesting template. And uh, it's a short, short book, easy to get. If you're interested, I would simply suggest that you study it. Uh, I've, I also use his template in a, in a pinch. And, you know, gradually you get a, a number of templates, and then you can, if you have the time, you can look at the topic and your purpose, and you can decide which template is, is going to fit with that particular topic and, and use that. But if you've got a, a pinch of 30 seconds to two minutes to prepare, you can always use that one. Uh, pick your, your main theme, what is the point, and then divide that up into three areas. And then think of something, even, even a sentence that you're going to lead with where people will understand that you're, you're going to tell them about something that's worth their time to listen to. Do you ever uh, blend in a story? Oh, for sure. Well, first of all, you can have 
Yes, Marge, the five-paragraph essay format. Um, but you've got to have that, that theme, your thesis sentence. You don't have your thesis sentence, and your thesis sentence has got to be relevant to people. If it's not relevant to people, there's no point in saying anything, you know, go home. Really. Right? If your thesis sentence is just something theoretical that nobody cares about. Uh, don't bother. As far as a narrative template, first of all, you can have an entirely narrative template, which is introduction, rising action, crisis, falling action, and conclusion. So it's a, it's a we, we diagram it as like a witch's hat instead of uh, the five-paragraph outline form. I rarely use a narrative form as my full template, very rarely. Sometimes I have certain seminars where that's entirely... The, the template. Burjan Prabhu is very expert at that. When you have your narrative form, what you're generally doing is you're weaving philosophical points into the narrative and from the narrative. So the, the various points in the narrative give birth to or segue to philosophical points. But you still have your overall theme. You still have what is the point. What is the main moral of the story? Now, in a narrative form, there's much more of a tendency to have lots and lots of sub-themes, and so at the end of a narrative form, you're a lot less likely to get a consensus from a hundred-person audience about what your main theme was. Different people will latch on to sub-themes much more readily, and there's a lot less repetition of your main theme because it's, it's really being developed as you go through it, rather than something that you're revealing to some extent in the start. Now, you can also use the narrative form within your essay form. So you've got your main theme and your three areas. First of all, your introduction can be a narrative, and second of all, as an illustrative uh, point within any of your areas, you can use narratives. Narratives are the best way of teaching anything. The whole Bhagavad Gita is within the scope of a narrative. The Bhagavatam is within the scope of narratives, within narratives, within narratives, within narratives. You know, the majority of the Shastra for Kali Yuga particularly, but in general, is, is in a, the story format. You know, I've once gotten in trouble for using the word story because Srila Prabhupada often equated the English word story with fiction. But the, the way I'm using the word story here is a particular format of a, of a narrative rather than an essay format. So yeah, you can use that exclusively or you can use that within the essay format. But there's, there's other essay formats, and I really do like Andy Stanley's. Um, it, it's, it's simple, it's elegant, and it's particularly suited for speaking on spiritual topics. But uh, rather than my explaining that, I, I think better just, he's got a short little book, you know, check it out. Communication for Change. Yeah, I think that's what it is. I can look it up. Um, that's okay. I'll, I'll, I'll get it. Yeah, it's, 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 it's not a long book and, and, and very, very simple to do and to apply. It's, the other, it's another thing okay, that once you've, once you've learned his template, you can also plug things into it within 30 seconds if necessary. Right. Thank you for asking that question. What, one qu uh, quick uh, comment. When Sanatana Goswami was having his 
his instruction from Lord Chaitanya, at some point he remembered that, or he'd heard that Lord Chaitanya had told Sarvambhadacharya he had interpreted this one up Marama verse mm. in a number of ways. And it was one of the things that actually turned Sarvambhadacharya charges. So he wanted to hear that again. Right. And, and Lord Chaitanya, he said, uh, you know, Sarvabhama, he's a madman, I'm a madman. It was a conversation between two madmen. But, <laughs> but by your grace, Sanatan, I will say something. So there's a dynamic between the speaker and the listener. And, it, it, you know, and I've experienced that over the years also. If there's some necessity in the audience or the on the person you're talking to, it, it may draw something out. And if we're, like you were saying, you made yourself available for that spontaneous talk. And was it the Samadhi of Bhakti Sridhar? It was, was no, it, it was in the Krishna Balaram Hall. At the at Krishna Balaram yeah. Mandir. But it was after he left. Yes, it was several years later. It was the anniversary. Oh, several years later. Okay, but but the audience can have an effect also, out of their eagerness. You know, if there's some, it's all. This is based on, you know, our devotional path is based on some enthusiasm. You know, if there's some eagerness, things get very. You know, they elevate. Well, also what I've experienced many times is that a comment or question from one of the hearers has an effect on me. And one of my most dramatic, I mean, I've had many, but one of my most dramatic experiences was not long ago when I was in New York, last May, I guess. I was speaking at 26-2nd Avenue, and one of the... One of the people there, who was relatively new to Krishna consciousness, said, when someone we love dies, what we're really mourning is that we've lost a piece of our own identity. Isn't it? And when she said that, I had never thought about that before. When she said that, all of a sudden I knew it. All of a sudden I knew that what she was saying was true. I could see it. Right. I could experience it. And I just looked at her and I said, yes. Mm -hmm. And afterwards, she was talking to me during Prasadam about how it was something she understood while I was speaking about something related and how she saw that her so-called grief for her friend or relative was all selfish and, and, and materially selfish. So I, I've had that experience also from the audience many, many times, although that was absolutely the most dramatic, where you see that you're not the doer. Someone asks a question that you don't know the answer to, and all of a sudden you know the answer. It happens all the time. It, it's, a, it's a very frequent occurrence. And yes, by the mood of the audience. So one of the challenges with giving classes like this over the internet, where you don't see your audience, you're not in the same room, you don't even really know who's there. You know, when I first started giving a class like this, it was, I was saying, how will, how will I do that? Because a lot of what you're doing is this, there's this interplay between yourself 
you know, Krishna through Srila Prabhupada and, and the audience, and how do you do that without the audience? And I remember when, when in the beginning, I thought, well, what you're losing is the the negative side of the audience. You're losing the the Rajagoon accolade and appreciation. You don't you don't see it. You, I don't know how to explain that. There there's a there's a certain Rajagoon, you're the doer, you're great thing that you get from an audience. It's a lot of the reason why mundane people perform. There was an interview with Paul McCartney where he was saying he never wanted to give up performing because of that feeling of exultation he got from an audience's appreciation. And when you speak like this over the computer, you don't get that while you're speaking. You may get it afterwards, but you don't get it while you're speaking at all, which is what you do get with a live audience. And I found that not having that during the class made it even more, this is really about Krishna working through me. When you've got a live audience, you can also tell, okay, this thing I'm saying doesn't resonate with them, and you can pull back and switch gears. You, 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 you've got this feedback loop going on all the time where you can, you can tailor what you're doing to people's needs because you're, you're seeing their body language and their facial expressions and so forth. And without that, you become completely dependent on, on the Lord to give you that guidance. So, although I still much prefer a live audience, uh, millions of times, there is there's a certain sweetness with that dependence. Where you're still, there's still this interchange between you and the audience, but as Prophet says, soul to soul via the super soul. And it's, there, there is a, it's a different, different kind of sweetness. These are very inspiring classes. You're just knocking them out of the park one after the other. <laughs> well, it's also nice when I get to give these classes. I'm right here with with Giriraj. You know, so that's that's kind of sweet too. I'm right here with my Ishta Dave. But anyway, it's a it's a it's a different it's a different kind of audience reciprocation, or what to speak of the fact that classes are recorded or videoed. And you know, I remember the experience of going to Australia, a place that in a place I'd never been before, and having uh, some lady come up to me and say, "You know, I regularly listen to your classes." And I thought, "I've never met this person, and never when I'm speaking do I have her in mind because I didn't even know her." And that thought that when you're speaking, you're speaking to an audience who's separated by time and space. And, and their eagerness. And think about this for a minute, because what you're saying is an eternal principle. The eagerness, the receptivity, the questions, the needs, the doubts, the, the realizations, the ecstasies of the audience are as an important part of what you're saying as your own connection and your own realizations. They're equally important. They're not less to any degree. They determine a lot what you say, how you say it, how inspired you are, where you go, everything. But you're speaking to an audience that's not there now. You're speaking to an audience that will that will be there sometime in the future in a distant place that that you'll not see, that you'll never know. You won't know their names. They may never meet you face to face. And yet, and yet, their desires and needs that may not even be existing at this moment 
someone who hears this five years from now, when they hear it, the question, the doubt, the need that they have five years from now may not have even been present at, the, at this moment in time. And yet, and yet, Krishna can inspire us to speak to that also and to give to that also. Of course, the perfection is not in some, uh, you know, demon like me, but the perfection is in persons like Shukadeva Goswami, persons like Srila Prabhupada, persons like Narada Muni, who can speak and write materials for th- that for thousands of years of future audiences and have it speak to us that when we approach those books and those recordings with our current question and our current doubt and our current need or our current happiness and our current realization and our current eagerness, which didn't exist when it was spoken, we feel as if it is being spoken to us now and it is addressing exactly what we need now as if the person is in front of us looking in our eyes and empathizing with our heart and connecting with us in our present need. And that is the magic of spirituality. So it has gotten very late. Shiva Prabhupada Kijai.